0: Uh, So whenever we read the Christian scriptures, we believe that we're doing something more than just reading an ancient old text. We believe that God actually speaks to us through these words. So let's take a moment to quiet our hearts, kind of slow down, and patiently take a breath. So that way we can encounter God's word reflectively and faithfully. Luke 19, verses 45 through 20, Luke 19, verse 45 through chapter 20, verse 8. When Jesus entered the temple, he threw out those who were selling things there. He said to them, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a hideout for crooks. Jesus was teaching daily in the temple the chief priests, the the legal experts, and the foremost leaders among the people were seeking to kill him. However, they couldn't find a way to do it because all the people were enthralled with what they heard. On one of the days when Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and, and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests, the legal experts, and the elders, they approached him. They said, tell us, what kind of authority do you have for doing these things? Who gave you this authority?" He replied, I have a question for you. Tell me, was John's baptism of heaven or of human origin? They discussed among themselves. If we say it's of heavenly origin, he'll say, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's of human origin, all the people will stone us to death because they are convinced that John was a prophet. They answered that they didn't know where it came from. Then Jesus replied, Neither will I tell you what kind of authority I have to do these things. The word of the Lord.
1: Um, so here's the thing. Chuck was supposed to preach tonight, uh, but then Chuck lost his voice this week. Uh, for the third time this winter, for those keeping score at home. <laughs> uh, so I will be Chuck's voice tonight, uh, preaching his message, and, and here's the beautiful thing about that. If you hear something that you don't like, <laughs> if you hear something that just offends you deeply, then I, if I were you, I would write a strongly worded email and send it, send it to Nate, because <laughs> I didn't write this, and Chuck can't talk, so just send it to Nate. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm really excited to be able to preach this message, so I'm going to pray for us. Gracious God, thanks that you speak, that you're speaking to us, that you have something for us, that you're constantly moving us towards life and freedom. And so we say yes, yes, God, to all that you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You must walk through the door of your rage to reach your heart. You must walk through the door of your rage to reach your heart. So says author and therapist, Sam Jolman, who happens to be Chuck's therapist, (laughs) happens to be the reason that our middle son is named Sam. (laughs) Anger has a lesson to teach us about ourselves. That anger actually shows us something important about our hearts. It shows us our passion. It shows us what we care about. It shows us what we love. Pastor Tim Keller says, in its uncorrupted origin, Anger is actually a form of love. So take a moment and think, reflect. What makes you angry? Like on a deep, like gut, visceral level. What makes you angry? Someone cutting you off in a conversation. Someone cutting you off in traffic. The experience of being overlooked. The experience of being misunderstood. Maybe a misuse of resources. Uh, a misuse of power. And what does this anger reveal about what you, what you care about, what you value? Now take a moment and consider this. What makes God angry? What does God get mad about? And what does this reveal about God? I believe that God is just like Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, you have to look at Jesus. So let's look at Jesus together in our passage, the passage that Nate just read for us. What does Jesus show us? about God, about what God cares about deeply, what moves God to anger, what matters to God. And does what matters to God matter to us? Picture the scene in Luke. The city is a powder keg. That's the sort of tension we should feel as we picture this scene from the Gospel of Luke. It's Passover, so Jerusalem is swelling with tens of thousands of pilgrims from all over Judea and the Mediterranean world. The Roman army occupying Jerusalem would be on high alert. And so would Herod, the puppet king ruling under Rome's thumb. And with the swelling of crowds, there would have been zealots. Jewish people who wanted to see Rome overthrown by military force, who saw Herod and and the temple priesthood as traitors, who saw them as traitors who profited off of their snug relationship with the Roman Empire. The religious leaders of the Jews, the priesthood, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and others, they were trying so desperately to just keep the peace, just hold it down during the festival. And so they're caught between the watchful eye of their Roman overlords and the discontent of the masses. The city with a powder keg, just ready to blow. And up walks Jesus with a lit match. First, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, embodying the fulfillment of a prophetic promise about the coming of an anointed one who would rescue God's people. Jesus comes not on a war horse, a military tank, so to speak, but on an animal that symbolized peace and humility. And he's greeted by all these people praising him, celebrating him, celebrating his arrival. In a few weeks, we're going to hit rewind and come back to that on Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into town, and everyone is cheering. Everyone is celebrating. And Jesus is actually crying. What's going on? Well, that brings us to today's passage where Jesus goes to the highest point of the city, the city's heart, the the focal point, the temple, the spiritual heart, the administrative hub, the seat of power in the city, the place where sacrifices are offered to God night and day, day and night, the very center of the Passover festival. And Jesus creates this massive disruption. If you look at this, this image of the temple The outer court of the temple, the the large open area inside the outer wall was called the the Court of the Gentiles. It was an area set aside for non-Jews to worship God. But at the time of Jesus, this space is is crowded out with livestock traders who were selling the animals necessary to offer for the ritual sacrifices. And there was also currency exchange booths, the so-called money changers, And Jesus comes in and starts flipping tables. I feel like I've been doing this motion a lot in my life. It's my go-to when I get mad about something. And this is Jesus just flipping tables and driving away the sacrificial animals. All the livestock sellers, all the people operating the currency exchange, Jesus makes them all get out, leave. In the other gospels retelling of this story, there's more like dramatic detail to it. Jesus brings the whole place to a standstill. He won't even allow people to carry anything through the temple courts. In the Gospel of John, Jesus even takes time to to braid a whip out of cords. Ever the craftsman. (laughs) Why is Jesus doing all this? Well, there's layers here. Jesus sees the livestock traders, the currency exchangers, profiting off of the people's worship. The people are being stolen from, through inflated pricing, through price gouging, and unfair exchange practices. And all of this trade is happening in the temple courts that were supposed to be set aside as a place where non-Jews could come close to the presence of God, to worship God. And so Jesus sees this as a distortion, as a tragic distortion of the temple's calling and purpose, that God's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And that's a quote from the prophet Isaiah, which says this, Don't let the immigrant who is joined with the Lord say, The Lord will exclude me from the people. Don't let the foreigner, don't let the immigrant say that. I will bring them to my holy mountain and bring them joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their entirely burned offerings and sacrifices on my altar. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all peoples. People here, they're being exploited and they're being excluded, and that deeply angers God. People are being exploited. People are being excluded. What moves God to anger? Well, right here we can say that injustice of any kind angers God, creating barriers for people to access God, to worship God, or distracting people from truly worshiping God. All of that angers God. And Jesus was willing to stand up against that injustice, to take tangible action, to disrupt the status quo, and so should we. And all that's true, but there's something more particular going on here in this passage. There's something more particular going on. Remember that the whole thing, supervising the whole thing and profiting from it, are the temple rulers and priesthood. They're the ones who come up to Jesus and say, Who gave you the right to do this? By what authority? Are you doing this? And Jesus confronts them and denounces them and the whole temple system. Now, it's important to remember that the, the temple system, the, 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 the temple itself, the priests, the sacrifices, all of that was instituted by God. It was meant to secure God's connection with the people, to be a sign, to be a symbol pointing to God's presence in our world. It was meant to be a place where, where heaven and earth meet the place where God dwells. And ultimately, it was meant to be a signpost pointing forward to the reality it symbolized. Ultimately, it was meant to be pointing forward to Jesus himself. But the current temple system, the temple, the sacrifices, the priest, all of it had lost its purpose, its mission, its reason for existing. And so Jesus clears it all out, cleanses the temple, and occupies the temple. It starts to teach and heal. the next several chapters are all about Jesus' showdown in the temple, clashing again and again with the temple rulers. And it all comes to a head with this announcement from Jesus where he says in Luke 21, As for these things that you're gazing at, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another. All will be torn down. Jesus, through prophetic protest and symbolic action, is announcing God's judgment On the temple system. And within a generation, the Roman army would squelch a Jewish revolt and tear this temple, the Jerusalem temple, tear it down to the ground. As Bible scholar, theologian Tom Wright explains, the time had come for God to judge the entire institution. It appeared to have rejected the vocation to be the light of the world. It was the city set on a hill. But instead of drawing to itself all the peoples of the world, it was bent on manning the barricades to keep them out. This is what Jesus' cleansing and occupying the temple meant. This is why the temple rulers and other religious leaders, this is why they saw Jesus as such a threat. They knew he was directly challenging them. And it was actually what he did, what Jesus did in the temple, that's what sealed the fate of Jesus. It was exactly because of this that the religious leaders were looking for a way to assassinate him. And in this, Jesus shows us, he shows us one thing in particular that really angers God. When people who are supposed to represent God misrepresent God. When the people who have the authority or vocation to represent God misuse their power. They misrepresent God. To say it really simply, misrepresenting God deeply angers God. Now, I know some of you have been wounded and harmed by Christian leaders. Chuck and I have heard some of your stories, and I'm sure there are other stories in this room that, that I don't know. And part of what makes spiritual abuse, uh, misuse of power in a, in a church setting, religious trauma, part of what makes it so insidious and harmful is that perpetrators aren't just acting in their name. They act and speak as if they're acting or speaking on God's behalf. So what I want to say to you, what Chuck wants to say to you, (laughs) is that those leaders who hurt you do not represent God. They don't speak for God. And they certainly are not a good picture of what God is actually like. They misrepresented God to you. And it's okay to be angry about that, because God is angry about that. And naming this, naming the wrong, naming your anger, might actually be an important step in your healing. Now, let me say, I think sometimes maybe we aren't angry enough. Like, don't get me wrong, our culture, Christians included, we love to get outraged We love to get offended. Have you been on the internet lately? (laughs) And underneath all that anger is often things like fear and grief. And that too could be a door to pay attention to what's actually going on in our hearts. If only, you know, we would stop kind of the yelling and finger pointing. But I wonder if we're not angry enough about the things that matter to God. I wonder if we're actually not angry enough about the things that matter to God. Because there are some ways that the church in America, and specifically the white evangelical church in America, has misrepresented God. At times, we've gotten caught up building bigger and bigger and bigger. Bigger crowds, bigger buildings, bigger budgets. And we failed to actually seek the flourishing of those in our city. We've been more concerned with increasing our political power, cozying up to political power than actually seeing God's kingdom, God's upside-down kingdom, ushered in by a crucified king, seeing God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We've been more concerned with spotless doctrine than in seeking justice for the vulnerable and marginalized, getting our orthodoxy right and ignoring our orthopraxy, the right practice of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we've actually denied God's heart for justice, specifically maybe God's heart for racial justice. We've created a culture of busyness and performance, burning out leaders and church members alike. Instead of living out of a place of rest and dependence on God, we've we've bought into the lie and maybe perpetuated the lie that as a human being, you are what you do. That your performance, that your function is what is most important about you. We've bought into the lie, I've bought into the lie that I can love my neighbor at a distance. Ignoring actual solidarity with the poor actually entering in the suffering. And here's the really good news for us tonight, church. God and his kindness calls us back to the ways of Jesus. That God gives us the opportunity to repent, to turn back. Now, I know you, you could hear a message like this and think it's for other people. Maybe people with a formal leadership role in a church, pastors like me, and it certainly is for me. But if you identify yourself as a Christian, you're in a position to represent God. In fact, a huge part of what it means to be human, the human job description, the human vocation is that we were meant to represent God to the world around us. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, that we were meant to represent God to the world around us. And so every one of us in this room is capable of misrepresenting God. And that our failures to truly love truly love God and love neighbor, they actually, at the core, it's a failure to to represent God. It's a failure to represent God well. And that's why the Bible takes it so seriously, the destructive power of what it calls sin. And when we see sin in ourselves, the the response, the appropriate response, the right response is, is repentance, to turn around, to stop going in the wrong direction to admit our mistakes, to come clean, to be honest, to confess. Friends, it's good news that Jesus doesn't let us keep going down the wrong road. It's good news that Jesus calls us to turn Around. It's really good news that Jesus subverts our expectations and challenges us to let go of our preconceptions. It's good news that Jesus disrupts and disturbs the status quo. It's good news that Jesus disrupts and disturbs the status quo of our unjust and idolatrous world. Because the life that Jesus is calling us to is better than the one we lay down. The life that Jesus has for us is better than the one we lay down. Chuck and I have these friends who are fond of saying repentance is the best thing that can happen to you today. And it sounds a little weird because we usually don't think like, yay, repentance. Usually has these like heavy connotations, these negative connotations, these like uber religious connotations. But their point in saying that is that if I'm wrong, what a gift for someone to tell me. If I have something wrong, if I'm headed in the wrong direction, what a gift for someone to actually tell me. And if the spirit of God would point that out. We say church you're going in the wrong direction, your eyes are closed, you are blind, you are headed in the wrong direction. What a gift. Who wants to live in in wrongness? But, of course, I don't know if you're anything like me. When someone points out that I'm wrong, I don't always take it well. (laughs) If there's someone who's, you know, really close to me, like, I don't know, Chuck, and he wants to point out uh, how I'm wrong, I want to get, like, defensive or, like, live in denial or I want to get self-righteous, like, how dare you tell me I'm wrong. You were wrong twice yesterday. And I put a note in my phone, just in case. <laughs> no, I, like I, I want to get defensive, and I think we do that, church. We want to get defensive, but what a gift if the Spirit of God would move and draw us back into the way of Jesus, into the life of the kingdom, and point out where we've gotten it wrong, and lead us back deeper into the ways of God. If someone is directing me to live more fully in light of the upside-down kingdom of God, if someone is directing me to reorient my heart back to the ways of Jesus, Yes, more of that. The series we're in right now is called Subversive Jesus. It's going to continue throughout the season of Lent as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together. Lent is a season of repentance and renewal. I'm going to invite you to take a few moments of prayer. I'm going to guide us through a time just to listen for what God is saying to us, how God is directing us tonight. So, if you are comfortable, I invite you just to close your eyes. As I lead us in a time of, of prayer to open space for Jesus to bring renewal in the ways that, that God wants to. Gracious God, thank you that, that you love us so much that you, that you come near, that you come close. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that you disrupt and disturb the status quo of our unjust and idolatrous world. That you call it, call us into life. So take a moment just to be quiet and just ask, Hey God, what are you saying to me tonight? As you think about your life right now, what feels like it's getting flipped upside down? As you think about Jesus and his work in the world, what feels like maybe it's getting flipped upside down right now? What is Jesus calling you to turn away from today? Pray for yourself that you would represent Jesus well in the week ahead. Pray for us as a church. Pray this for each other. Pray for our church as a whole, that we would represent Jesus well in the week ahead. Jesus, I pray that you would keep giving us a picture of your kingdom, that you keep giving us a vision of what you're doing and what you're up to and the ways that you bring renewal in life. Would you keep drawing us into your presence? Would you you keep drawing us into your work? Lead us, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.